You cannot script that. Second time in three weeks, the Colts win in thrilling fashion over the Houston Texans. I'm Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner recapping. Boy, um, I, I say this quite often, but Hollywood would probably have laughed at a season sweep script of the Texans like that. The Colts just ushered 27-20. Yeah, 26-20 was the first one, I think. So yeah, 27-20 over the Texans in week 15. The Colts on the verge of clinching a playoff spot, although it is a very crowded AFC playoff picture we'll get into a little bit later on this edition of The Corner. Uh, Coming at you on a Monday morning, we are remote. Unfortunately, a little bit of a uh, Rosie Bow daycare uh, COVID quarantine issue. So the Bowen family is um, is remote. Hopefully we'll have Maddie Bow in. I don't know why I called her Maddie Bow. Um, Maddie Bowen, join us for Twitter questions a little bit later in the podcast. But no Chris Presley on this version because 2020 sucks. Uh, so here we are. Uh, again, week 15 in the NFL and the Colts right now 10-4, and four, having won three straight in the month of December and a very healthy team as well, I feel like that you got to acknowledge as well in the month of December. Uh, today's pod, as always, what I liked, what I didn't like. Really, just one thing I didn't like. There are several things that I liked um, from this victory. We'll just have one podcast this week, I think, with everybody traveling around the holidays and whatnot. And as I mentioned last week, I'm filling in for Dan Dockich this Wednesday from noon to 3. So if you want to uh, get a little bit of Colt Steelers-centric chatter, tune in then on uh, 107.5 The Fan. But um, this will be our only pod of the week, and before I got to get into what I liked and what I didn't like, just overall thoughts from this game. You know, I think Frank Reich did a really nice job afterwards in describing this. You know, when you saw the Colts come off the field in Houston, getting that gift of the errant snap, they knew they got lucky. This one, I think they earned a little bit more. You know, like it wasn't just a horrific mistake by the Texans, but I also think the Colts have a perspective which is necessary and absolutely necessary that a win is a win. And right now with how the AFC playoff picture looks, which is wild how all of these teams continue to win and 10 and six is going to probably get you left out of the playoffs that you have to improve, but you're able to critique the film off wins, which is obviously better than the byproduct. And Reich mentioned after the game that it's a joyous locker room but it's also a locker room that realizes that improvement is a must. And if you don't improve, your stay in the month of January is not going to be very long. And I think that's abundantly clear. What I saw from the Colts on Sunday doesn't really change my thinking in the month of January. Having said that, I did think there were some key elements from the game that we haven't seen this season from the Colts. And we'll get into that throughout the podcast. And I honestly think just starting overall, it was – every phase making a big-time play in the fourth quarter. I I would put up the pressure from Sunday's fourth quarter right up there with just about any fourth quarter this season. You know, Green Bay is probably in the category by itself. But considering Week 15 in the NFL, and you look at the scoreboard on Sunday, and once Miami, you know, kind of pulled ahead from the Patriots, like every other playoff team was winning. The Ravens and Titans were just dominating their their games and like there was pressure on you the bills won on saturday like it, it, you, you just had a flat out win and for from a hot rod field goal to the most important offensive drive of the season to obviously darius leonard's punch every phase made a play there late um 
And so, yeah, th- th- that's that's huge. In a pressure-packed fourth quarter, that's absolutely huge because you were staring, again, for the third time this season, potentially losing as a favorite against a divisional opponent. And that that's catastrophic. That is, I mean, if you lost this game, you're outside of the playoff picture right now. And you need tons of help in the final two weeks of the season. But yet you're able to get it done. And, and I guess my question is, again, from what I saw 60-minute effort, there are a couple things that you point to and say, okay, if that can continue in January, that's a positive. Now, there's a lot of things that I would say if that continues in January, it could be a negative. But what does delivering in the fourth quarter of a Week 15 game do to you confidence-wise? Does it give you a jolt, or is it simply, boy, you're just not in that upper echelon of a team? And that's what we're going to find out here in the final couple weeks and certainly in January as well. Um, you know, it, it's wild to think that, you know, this is the second AFC South sweep that Frank Reich has had in his career. And yet, if you threw those two games at him, like situations, like if you literally said, boom, here you go, pop in a clip of the Texans on the two-yard line in the Week 13 matchup, score, time, all of that, and say, okay, this is going to be one situation. And then two weeks later, boom, you pop in, you know, Kiki Guti making that catch in that situation. Frank Reich would have said, just please give me a split. What, what do I need to do? I'm a former pastor. I deserve at least a split. And yet, <laughs> he gets two of those wins. So y- you have to acknowledge as well, I mean, the ball is bouncing the Colts' way. Now, are they creating some chances? Are they creating opportunities to be in position to, to win these football games? Certainly. But the ball is also giving them a very favorable bounce right now to where if you presented those two situations to any fan or any coach, they would say, we'll take one and one. But the Colts are, are, are two and zero, oh, and that's so critical to just staying in this playoff race and staying in position to where you control your own you know, destiny, which I know isn't a real thing. But if you went out, of course, you're going to be in the playoffs and you still are in the thick of a, um, of a playoff race. So I, I think all of that applies to the Colts right now. But again, 10 and four, it still is something that I did not see at this point in the season. I thought they'd be 10 and six. Um, you know, right now, I think I had them losing to Pittsburgh in week 16, but um, that, that needs to be commended. I mean, 10 and four at this point of the season. Yes. I think you've played the easiest schedule in the AFC, but still uh, that is a job well done. You're in position to achieve your f- first goal and that's to make the playoffs. And in a seven team, you know, playoff uh, situation here in 2020, that should have been the expectation. Uh, but putting yourself there in that spot with two weeks to go in the season, uh, job well done for the Colts. There are things that, again, need to be corrected, certainly. But still, um, I wanted to mention that before we got into the meat of the podcast. All right, things I like from Sunday. Uh, I have kind of hinted at this earlier, but delivering and pressure. Let's start with the hot rod field goal, 53-yarder. You guys know full well I've talked about this a whole lot lately. Hot Rod needed this. The Colts needed to see that. And frankly, to win the bleeping football game on Sunday, the Colts needed that kick to go through the uprights. Um, I just think it's critical on on many levels. It's such an odd season, kicking-wise, how it's unfolded. I mean, you go 13 games, and Hot Rod doesn't kick you know, a, a, a single field goal from you know, longer than 44 yards outside of the chunk 50-yarder against Green Bay. And boy, I thought the 53-yarder looked pretty good. I mean, down the middle and had some room to spare as well. And yes, it's indoors, but still, 
Uh, that is a kick that I think now you just feel comfortable, uh, more comfortable, if you will, with Hot Rod in the postseason. Now, you know, how does he kick in Orchard Park if you're playing Buffalo in round one, which if a playoff started today, that's where you would be. You know, that, that that's maybe a bit of a different animal. But um, I, I thought when you looked at the pressure pack situations for every phase, that was the first part of it for me. Secondly, um, I can't believe that, you know, we're a bit into the podcast and I haven't mentioned the second and 20 throw by Phillip Rivers, catch by T.Y. Hilton. This is not hyperbole. And, you know, Rosie Bow slept about a two out of a 10 last night. She's fighting a little bit of a bug, unfortunately. Um, so I had some time just to sit in my bed and think if I'll ever sleep again. And so I was looking up just a bunch of random stuff. I think the second and 20 throw by Rivers, catch by Hilton, was the offensive play of the year for the Colts. Like, again, that might sound a bit hyperbole and a bit, okay, you're saying this, you know, whatever, less than 24 hours after a win. But the Colts haven't been in many of these situations. It's why I tweeted out before that drive started, this this is one of the most important drives of the season. And it's funny, I asked Rivers that after the game, and, and... you know, part of my reasoning for asking Rivers is because, one, he's the quarterback of the football team, and two, like I extremely value Philip Rivers' mind because he has great perspective on those sorts of things that have a little bit more of a big-picture view. And Rivers is a guy that I don't know if you guys have watched his press conferences. He doesn't really react when the question's being asked. You don't see a lot of body language until he starts going into his answer, and then he starts you know flailing around um, like Lance Stevenson after a foul call. But... It when I asked that to Rivers, I and mean, he started nodding his head right away, like, oh, oh yeah, we, we haven't been in that situation. And we kind of needed that. And I thought the second and 20 play, um, you know, the Green Bay game, maybe there's a play in there, but I, I can't think of an offensive play that has meant more to this football team this season. Think about the second and 20. You're outside of field goal range. You just had the Pittman offensive pass interference. You're up, uh, or excuse me, you're, you're, you're tied, you know, 2020. And if that ball is incomplete there, it's third and 20. You're still outside of field goal range. You need to get whatever, five or 10 yards to get into manageable. I shouldn't even say manageable to get into field goal range, period. And then Hot Rod's got to go make another 50 plus yarder to just take the lead. So there's a good chance there. If that ball is incomplete, you are either punting the ball away to the Texans with two minutes to go, and all the Texans need is a field goal, or you're trying to attempt you know, a 50-plus yarder to hopefully take just a three-point lead with two minutes to go in the game. So um, what a big-time moment, and very fittingly, you know, the, the daddy of the Houston Texans, which shout-out to Drew. He DM'd me during the game. Philip Rivers has, you know, nine kids, and, and T.Y. Hilton has 53 adopted children, and they all reside uh, in Houston, obviously referencing the Houston Texans football team. It was um, what, what a play by those two. Uh, the, the aggressiveness to make that play call, uh, beautiful route by Hilton, you know, getting that cover two look, getting him on a linebacker down the seam, and what a throw. By, by Rivers to take that chance there. Again, second and 20, he easily could have just gone in check down mode. You know, seven yards, seven yards, get into field goal range, something like that. And I would have totally understand, uh, understood that. But no, they felt like they needed seven there, and they took a shot down the middle of the field. And Hilton had been, you know, 
honestly, relatively quiet, especially for Hilton standards against the Texans. And what a throw, what a catch. Uh, it's honestly a good thing he didn't score, so you could run a little bit more clock, although clock really didn't come into play there on that final drive. But, um, man, I, 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 again, that is the offensive play of, of the season. I, you know, someone feel, feel free to message me if I'm forgetting something, but it's, it's, it's weird how the season has, has unfolded in that last year you started off with what nine straight one possession games and all this fourth quarter drama. You really haven't had that this year. Now against the Texans, you've had again, Hollywood type endings to those games, but you haven't had a lot of that. And I think it's important for this football team to experience that, especially offensively. Like, we still haven't seen them have to come back from truly behind with a final three or four minute drive, like down three, down seven, but tied. And they took over, I think it was what, like, I don't know, seven minutes to go. I don't have the box score in front of me, but I think it was like seven minutes to go after the Texans tied it up at, at 20. And, and that drive itself, you know, you had the Burton conversion early in the drive. Jonathan Taylor, who I think is just running like a totally different guy. I tweet out during the game. I, I see Le'Veon Bell, Steeler-type patience in Jonathan Taylor's running style, which, again, not something I, I would have said, you know, through the first two months of the season. Um, and then you get behind the chains. You know, Pittman has one of his penalties that we've seen too often here this season, and you get way behind it, and you throw a ball that just wouldn't have been thrown last season and wouldn't have been accurate at that moment either. So what a play, what a call by Nick Sirianni and Frank Reich. It sounded like it was a pretty collaborative effort there on the sidelines who felt like that play, you know, would have gotten the coverage that you got there. And the Texans, you know, showed why they are the um, the uh, four and ten football team that they are now. And, and then lastly, when I talk about delivering pressure situations, you, you have to throw Darius Leonard in there. It was such a chaotic play that I found myself being like, who had the strip? Who had the strip? And, and Leonard is, of course, the first person that you think of. And, and, you know, sure enough, it was his punch coming from the backside. And, you know, this is why Chris Ballard drafted him. It was the ball production and the wingspan. Um, you know, it wasn't just, oh, he's fast and he's sideline to sideline. Yeah, that's all great. But, you know, this is the first draft pick in the Matt Eberflus defensive era. And it was the Derek Brooks feel to it. And it was, this guy is going to help us take away the football. And he's done it since the first day first day on the NFL practice field when he picked off Andrew Luck. Um, I think Eric Swope was, was the intended receiver at Grand Park, and Leonard continues to do it. And honestly, he's been a little quiet this year in those type of plays. He had the big play up in Detroit. That was in the third quarter, that, that strip of Stafford. But I think this was – I don't think he's had an interception. And I think the, the strip of Stafford was his only other forced fumble. So it's it just hasn't been the crazy historic production, but – when you're bending the most, and I mean, obviously Houston's going to go for two if they, if when they score in that situation, Leonard forces the fumble, but then kudos to Matt Eberflus. And you guys know what I think of this scheme, and I think it's you know a bit too conservative at times, and I'd like to see the defense dictate more, and I, and I still stand by all of that. But what I probably should give Eberflus more credit for is how his unit buys into his standard of effort, pursuit, all 11 to the football. And that's exactly what we saw on that play. It, it starts with Kenny Moore. I mean, if you freeze frame the ball on the ground when Aaron Snap happens in Houston, 
or the ball sitting there in the end zone yesterday, you would think that the Texans get both those fumbles. Like, I, I was it Aikens, a tight end, maybe, was, was right there? Or Farrell Brown, one of the two. I mean, they were right there. Right there. And Kenny Moore just, just gets his body in there and just you know, causes chaos, which, you know, that's something you try to do on those onside kicks. Just keep the ball alive. Keep the ball alive. And sure enough, there's, what, six, seven, eight blue jerseys that end up getting to that football, and Bobby Okariki pounces on it. So um, that's effort. That's pursuit. That's the standard. That's no loafing. You know, all of that at times can sound a little high schoolish and childish. And I do think at times the scheme just, again, doesn't dictate as much as you would like it to. But, man, it's not just a strip. It, it, it's more than the strip there. And, yes, Leonard's punch and his just mindset of, boy, how about his quote after the game of, what, pressure does two things. It either busts pipes or makes diamonds. Sounds like a, a, a you know song that I, I used to try to dance to back in the day and probably fail miserably at. But, boy, um, it sure made him a lot of bling, if you will. Uh, boy, I should move on before I sound even older than I already do. Uh, what a play. What a play by the Maniac. Should be a pro bowler this week and uh, delivering in pressure. The Colts did it flat out right there. Uh, second thing I liked from Sunday, the red zone defense. Uh, we saw this against the Raiders. We, we saw it, honestly, in the first meeting against the Texans. You have leaked. And I, boy, now that I think about it, I feel like we saw it against the Packers. You have let, I think it's three or now four straight games, over 360 yards of total offense. That should lead to more points than you've given up. But yet, you've kept it around 20 because of the red zone defense. And you were terrific, terrific in that area again on Sunday. I mean, that first red zone drive the Texans had, I mean, they just threw the ball away, it felt like. Um, In the first half, it was just, you know, Watson throwing it into the seats. Um, I thought it was a great challenge by Frank Reich. You know, challenging a spot uh, is something you don't see a lot of coaches do. It goes against so much of kind of challenge thinking. But Frank, you know, and, and he admitted after the game, he had about four or five players kind of yell at him on the sidelines, look, 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 that, that he is short. He forces third and one then with winning that challenge. That puts a four and nine football team into a pressure pack situation. They cripple. They, they have a false start. And then you get off the field and you force a field goal. I mean, when you think back to that game, like you take away that play and the Texans convert, that would have been a first and goal at the five. Let's say they punch that in. Let's say Hot Rod misses the field goal. Then at the end of the game, the Texans are just kind of sitting on that ball and they're kicking a field goal for the win. The red zone defense, just you are bending big time defensively, but you've been just incredibly stout inside the 20, inside the 10. I think I saw that the Texans had, outside of the fumble at the end, they had 10 snaps in the red zone and only got 14 yards out of those 10 snaps. And I do think this is a byproduct of the defense. Of Your effort shows up. You're a really good run defense team. You, 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 there's not much as much pressure to rush and cover in those situations. And I do think zone looks you know, tend to favor you into those situations as well. So the red zone defense, you know, it was by no means a, a, a perfect game or anywhere close to a perfect game defensively, but your red zone defense certainly showed up there. 
Uh, last thing that I liked before I moved into the one move into the one thing I didn't like. Zach Pascal. Um, what what more can you say? He um, it's probably the first time we've mentioned him for longer than thirty seconds on a podcast all year, but. There's a reason he plays as much as he does. There's a reason that Nick Sirianni tells Jacob Sirianni, his son, I want you to grow up and play football like Zach Pascal. I mean, think about how, how, high pra- how high of praise that is for an offense coordinator to tell one of his players that he wants his son to grow up and play football like him. And this staff just loves Everything Zach Pascal stands for. He was a game day captain, fittingly. Spoke to the team Saturday night. Had a great message about dog mentality, and you got to keep putting, you know, pedal the metal, this and that. I mean, we're talking an undrafted free agent. We're not talking a, you know, seventeen year vet that's been in a bunch of pressure packed months of December's. No, we're talking Zach Pascal. So I, I just think it, it, it's an appreciation for him. I think he's benefiting, or at least on Sunday, benefited from extra attention to Hilton, some one on one looks. Pascal makes the great 50-50 grab early in the game on a third down. Um, and how about his effort on that on that second touchdown that he had? Just mano y mano, you know, out, out on an island, if you will. Was not the route that was supposed to be run there, but he felt like he had to kind of turn it into a, um, just a, a, you know, kind of a pseudo swing pass. And uh, one-on-one, and he makes a great play there. Just a, just a great, great play. By, by Pascal, so uh, five catches, over 70 yards, two touchdowns on, on six targets. Um, one for the good guys, if you will. You know, if you're if you're making a list of kind of the kind of the good, just hard workers we don't acknowledge enough. You know, Kari Willis, Braden Smith, Zach Pascal. You know, those are the names that I that that I think of uh, of guys that kind of deserve to be on that list. Um, so great work by uh, by number fourteen on Sunday. Really, only one thing I didn't like because offensively, I mean, the Colts scored on five of seven drives. I mean, there was a rut there in the second quarter, and yeah, the Jacoby Brissett usage was just hysterically laughable. Uh, but we don't need to dive too deep into that. And I thought you could have leaned on Taylor and Hines a little bit more than you did. I thought both were really, really effective for you. Uh, but still, I mean, scoring on five of seven real drives is pretty good success, even though you are playing a defense that is horrible. Um, really, the, the the only thing I didn't like is this defense, from a yardage standpoint, is regressing. And that's been a trend now over the past month. Allowed over 400 total yards on Sunday against an offense that is without so many receivers and no depth at running back. They lose a right tackle early in that game. And yet Deshaun Watson's magic is there for 60 minutes. So um, it, it's just from a yardage standpoint, this defense is starting to, again, regress to the middle of the pack. Now, obviously what you love is the red zone D and the playmaking. Now the playmaking wasn't there as much yesterday as it was, you know, obviously at the end of that game. But still, um, that I think is just a worry that you have as you enter the month of January is when do the, these yards, when does you know the 360, the 380, the 400 yards of total offense, when does that turn into um, more, more, more points, 27, 30 points, you know, something um, 
to that number. And so I, I feel like that's what we're starting to see from this defense. They hadn't played a lot of great offenses this year, but like what you've seen from Green Bay, the two Houston games, the Raiders as well. I mean, those are more like some January type offenses. Honestly, they probably aren't even to that point. You know, Buffalo and Kansas City, I think would qualify much more potent. Um, but I think that is a very fair criticism to have right now. I thought just a little bit too conservative and just a hair sloppy at times as the game moved along. I thought the rush discipline and the coverage was strong early, but then I thought that that lessened as the game moved along. Um, so I think that's something to keep an eye on. All right, before we get into Twitter questions, Rosie Bow and Maddie Bowen are here with us now. Good morning. Good morning. Um, it's early. On a Monday morning, I told the audience out there that uh, it was a rough night in the Bowen household, so we appreciate your effort here this morning. Merry early, early Christmas to you and Rosie. Merry early Christmas to you, too, and all your followers. Uh, what do you think, Rosie? You this is Rosie's podcast? first podcast. We, we we wish it was visual. Um, she's got her passy in. And her, is that sushi? No, this is um, palm Flowers. trees. Palm trees. Yeah. She's got a sushi onesie that looks similar to that. I'm not a big sushi person. So, um, yeah, there's me. Uh, shows you how much sleep I've got when I think that sushi looks like palm trees. Um, all right, Mads, we got Twitter questions. Again, uh, Chris Presley, unfortunately not on today's pod. That's uh, just Bowen quarantine uh, status. Uh, welcome to 2020. So here we are, trapped in our house for X amount of days. Uh, let's, um, let's hop into Twitter questions. Okay, let's do it. And for the record, I'm very glad that this is not visual and only audio. <laughs> okay, so first we have Zach. Over, under, on number of Colts making the Pro Bowl. Does he give us a number? Oh, he gives us 3.5. Okay, three and a half on that. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say um, I hope it's over. I mean, it deserves to be over. You know, I think we'll find out this week, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I look at this, Zach. Nelson, Buckner, and Leonard – Shouldn't that be the barometer? Like, should I mean, aren't those three locks? And then it's like, okay, what about Kenny Moore? What about George Odom? Uh, Braden Smith deserves it. He won't get it. Uh, you know, what about name recognition for Xavier Rhodes and Justin Houston? Didn't love the Xavier Rhodes that we saw yesterday, by the way. I, I Just not one of his better efforts. But I'll say four should get in right away. It probably will be three. But, you know, with uh, with alternates and all that, I'll say five or uh, five or six eventually get in. Awesome. This is from Craig. Super insightful. He says, hey, Kevin, Ture showed some good flashes in the game and recorded a season-high snap count. Um, did he take snaps from Taekwon at the end because Taekwon was filling the void for Buckner at the three technique? Or is Ture ramping his snaps finally? Yeah, Craig, it's a great question. I thought that was the best Kamoko Ture we've seen all season. He played, I want to say, 33 snaps. I think he had played 40 in the first four games back, so certainly an uptick. But honestly, Ture was just taking snaps, I think, more from Al-Kadim Muhammad um, outside. Bless you, Rosie Bow. <laughs> also, they're not palm trees. They're succulents. God, we're just really failing in our, uh, boy, this is a hell of an effort that uh, the Bowen family giving on this edition of Kevin's Corner. We are fighting through it here. It's, hey, it, it's week 16, folks. It is not pretty. It's survive in advance mode right now. The Colts, you know, will happily take their gifts they've gotten, and uh, we're just, we're just trying to hit get to the end. This is what we're trying to do here. Maddie Bowen cannot wait to get to the end of this podcast. Um, I thought what I liked about Ture yesterday was just it wasn't all speed around Laramie Tunsil. 
I saw some power. I saw some bull rush. I saw variety from him that, honestly, I didn't know that he had that. Like, you guys have heard me reference with Ture. He's the guy coming out of the bullpen that only has, you know, one finger down. And I'm referencing a catcher, you know, putting one finger down for the fastball. Does he have an off speed? Does he have something else? I saw some counters. I saw some different stuff. And I know he didn't show up in the stat sheet. He should have had a half sack. I think they gave it to Autry. But um, full participant in practice this week, that's a step up. And that turret, you know, when I talked earlier in the podcast about there's a couple of things that you point to individually that, okay, if that can build, January can look different. This is one of them. The overall effort for 60 minutes, that's going to get you one and done. That's going to send you to the Caribbean early in the month of January. But these individual things, Ture, probably close to the top of that list, that should give Colts fans a bit excitement for the month of January. From Conroy, when we struggled to contain Watson, which was evident in the first meeting, and again on our home turf the second go-around, how much faith do you have in our defense control in our defense controlling teams like the Bills or the Chiefs? Don't get me wrong, I think we can. But it just feels like we need the planets to align, especially if we are on the road for those matchups. Anyway, anyway, take it easy to you and Chris, and Merry Christmas to both your families and my fellow listeners. Thanks, Conroy. Yeah, thank you, Conroy, for that. Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Happy holidays. I know we're a very global podcast, so and hopefully everyone's safe um, during this holiday season. Um, can you name the planets in order, Mads? Uh, uh, nope, not even close. I think we go Mars, Venus, um, Earth, no, that's not right. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, <laughs> Jupiter, maybe Saturn, mm, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. Isn't Pluto not a planet anymore? <clears throat> we are losing listeners by the minute, so we'll move <laughs> on here to Conroy's question. Um, no, Conroy, this is very smart. That is what is worrying me. Again, when do you see 400 total yards turn into 27 or 30 points on the scoreboard? And offensively, I mean, what? You scored on, like I said, five of seven drives against the Texans. I think it was seven of eight against the Raiders. I mean, two bad defenses, but those are very, that's great efficiency. Rivers continues to be an efficient, efficient quarterback. I think his offense is achieving balance. We haven't seen in a while. But as I mentioned earlier, if you, you know, take that fumble at the end, and let's not even talk about that fumble. What if Hot Rod misses from 53? What if Frank Reich doesn't challenge that play? What if the Texans convert one of those red zone drives? And I know what ifs are, you know, whatever. If What's the saying? If ifs and ands or buts and, you know. We'll, no ifs, ands, or buts about it? Well, yeah, there's some saying about, I don't know, excuses about buttholes and something. I don't know. Some some crazy oh. whatever. Anyways. Um, I think, never mind, go ahead. I just feel like you are playing with a little bit of fire. And against the Bills and Chiefs, that fire could lead you to lose. Like the Texans are four and ten, folks. Four and ten for a re- the Bears, the Chicago Bears, beat them thirty-three to seven last week. So you have to acknowledge who you've played, and if you do that in January, it's not going to end well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, this is from Drew. After watching the game, what is a big? What is a bigger need on defense, better pass coverage or better containment on the edge? Watson did anything he wanted for the most part Sunday. Love you guys and hope you and your family have a Merry Christmas. We love you too, Drew. Thank you, Drew. Um, I, I still think it's containment. 
and I'm honestly, containment is just such a Watson-centric term to use because he is such a dynamic quarterback. I'm I continually am in awe watching him play that position. Uh, pass rush, though, I mean, to me, you know, coverage, I think you can, you can mask coverage with your pass rush. So uh, I, I think that's a bigger need, Drew. From Wyatt, Sunday at Pittsburgh, which will be a miracle in itself, could we possibly see a Nick Sirianni? Did I say that right? Sirianni, yeah. Sirianni called offense in Week 17 just as an experiment, since we'll likely already be mathematically in the playoffs. Yeah, Wyatt. I, I no, I, I have no. Um, I, I think you're playing. I, I don't think they'll be mathematically in the playoffs. Aren't you still playing for the division, too? I mean, like, let's say. I guess under your scenario, which I don't really understand here, you say that. Sunday's going to be a miracle in Pittsburgh. I assume you mean a miracle to win, but yet you think they're going to be mathematically in the playoffs. All these playoff teams keep on winning. Cleveland, Baltimore, Miami. Like, it is wild that you look at the AFC and the playoff teams have expanded to seven, and yet 10 and six or 11 and five, and you might not get in. Last year, eight and eight would have got you in with seven playoff teams if, if, if it would have been seven. Um, so no, I can't go with the whole Nick Sirianni offense, but I will say that <laughs> Pittsburgh being a miracle, I'm not going to go there. Although historically, Mavs, the Colts have played in Pittsburgh. I want to say it's like a dozen ish times since 1968. They've won once. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pittsburgh is the house of horrors for the Indianapolis Colts. I've been there, boy, at least twice, maybe three meetings. And I would say the game has been over, um, before the first media timeout. It's, um, it's been that ugly. Wow. So, yeah, uh, Heinz Field, um, you know, Joey, yeah, is, Joey a, loves is it. a huge Steeler fan. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wish we were doing a Wednesday pod. I would have Joey on, but fortunately not. All right, this is from Bailey. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, sorry. I want to s- throw one more thing in there. Sorry. Um, I think basically this is where we're at playoffs Indians. And again, we are recording this Monday morning, so we won't have Steelers, Bengals tonight. But I don't really think that matters too much. If the Colts win one more and the Ravens and Dolphins lose one more, then you're good. Or either of them, Ravens or Dolphins. If you win one, and as long as they lose one, you're going to be in. Um, and I know we've got, as Rosie Bow yawns, I know that we've got a lot of Trevor Lawrence tanking Jaguar questions. I, I don't think I've ever seen so many questions about a Week 17 football game and the opponent in my life. And we will address those on next week's pod. All right. Um, This is from Bailey, like I said. All right, Kev, we've been saying all year we want to see how this O does when they need to make a drive late in a a close game. That last drive, 75 yards, took off five and a half minutes. That's extremely efficient football coming at the most important time of the year. Uh, Bailey, spot on. Spot on. Absolutely spot on. To me, it was the most important offensive drive of the season. And like I said earlier, the second and 20 throw from Rivers to Hilton is the play of the year offensively, like point blank period. Um, You have to love the variety on that drive. You got a little bit of Taylor. You got behind the chains. You had Burton early in the drive. Um, Just what a huge, huge play at that point as Rosie Bow rolls over and shows her incredible athleticism as a young child. Um, just huge, huge. Now it's, I don't blame the Colts for this. It's just kind of wild how the season has unfolded. 
selfishly, I think he'd still like to see, okay, down three, down seven. How do you handle that pressure? But this is still more pressure than they have had all year long. Um, and they delivered. Like, like you said, 75 yards, took five and a half minutes off it, finished it off with a touchdown, hot rod makes the extra point. I mean, all of it. Uh, just a huge that, – that's a uh, that's a big-time drive. That's a drive if uh, – yeah, that's just big-time, big-time. Was the um, the Hot Rod nickname his nickname before he came to the Colts or is that new? No, no, no. That is a big nickname before. So he, he went to Georgia, which, as we know, the SEC, it's um, football religion family, yeah. I think is the order that it goes in that country. So they worship him. I mean, loudest cheers of any Georgia football player, Hot Rod. Got it. I love that nickname. You, you love seeing him on the sidelines, don't you? I do. I just think he's so cute. Cuter <laughs> than me. <laughs> no, never. Okay, this is from, um, where are we? This is from Kevin. Hey, Kevin. I have a two-part question. Why doesn't Iperflus adjust the coverage in certain situations? Why not have a tighter coverage on a third and short situation? Yeah, Kevin, I, I don't know if I agree with the, these statements as kind of blanket. Like, yes, I, I thought there were some things that were too conservative, but I also think that Iberflus has adjusted things more. Could he adjust things even more? Sure. But I, I do think he's been a, a little bit more willing to adapt this season. I thought, I don't know if you guys saw this, Deshaun Watson said after the game that he, you know, talked to Iberflus on the field afterwards and was like, you know, you, you did a lot of things differently from that first matchup, um, which, again, that's the adapting and, and the ability to adjust that you want to see. Um, I, I also thought it was interesting, I don't know if um, – as Rosie Bow just gets her morning stretching in. Um, I, I also thought it was interesting that uh, Iberflus talked about how he had a 20-minute conversation with each position group um, throughout the week. You know, D-line, linebackers, DB saying, okay, what did you learn from facing Deshaun Watson that first time? I think that is really, really critical um, to helping, you know, just... First off, I think it's really important to rely on your players for that like that's good coaching 101 and obviously um i think it's just important when you're facing a guy that's that dynamic to learn from every unit because so much of it has to coexist to be able to limit such a talent awesome this is from cameron um cameron says the whole season has been a push to make the postseason with that in reach how many if any playoff games could you see the colts winning um, yeah, Cameron, I, I still think one is the ceiling. I mean, right now, again, if the playoffs started today, you'd be at Buffalo. Like, Buffalo looks damn good to me. They look, they look really good. And how great was that scene for Bills fans coming back when the, when Buffalo landed back in Orchard Park on Saturday night after the win over Denver first division title since the nineties, Bills fans are the best. They are. I'm sorry, Colts fans. Bills fans are nuts. I love them. Um, I just love their passion. I love passionate human beings, and I just I, I think good 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 for the Bills. Uh, not a lot of social distancing going on at that airport, by the way, but whatever. Um, okay, uh, I I just I, I still feel like it's just one is kind of the ceiling. Now, what happens if you get home field? What happens if you win the division? You know that that could change, but I feel like the defense just it's playing with fire a little bit. The offense is certainly moving it better, but. It's against these defenses that you probably aren't going to see in January. I just think there's more pressure right now on this offense um, to really, really show up 
Now, it's done that, but that is a bit um, worrisome to me. Okay. Because you, you're, you're bending hard, bending very hard against 4-10 and 10 football teams. If you bend against 11-3 teams or 10-4 and 4 teams, when does, I mean, to steal a term from Darius Leonard, you know, pressure can bust pipes. Have you ever heard that phrase, by the way, Matt? Darius Leonard said after the game, pressure does two things. It busts pipes or it makes diamonds. Oh, wow. No. I, I believe that's in a song. No, I like it though, and and I and I agree with it. What, yeah. what do you think you do under pressure? Make diamonds or bust pipes? No, certainly make diamonds. <laughs> Could not agree more with that statement. All right, who we got next? We got Casey next. She says, or he says, would this current roster be a Super Bowl contender with Watson at QB? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Watson's a stud. It's uh, the stuff he does off script, and, and this is no like knock on Philip Rivers in the season he's given the Colts. It's been a job well done for Rivers th- this year. He's been an extreme upgrade, but Watson's at a different level. I mean, look at the talent around him. It's just <laughs> he is a special, special talent, and it's uh, boy Watson, Trevor Lawrence in this division for the next decade. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Well, hopefully we're still a contender even with rivers okay you know and i'll say this about the playoffs matt just get in the dance you know i mean yeah from there it's just like you you said survive in advance you know and just we all have been to dances in our day you never know a girl could maybe mistake you for someone else and boom now you're dancing with her like (laughs) who knows like you know if if you know the colts have gotten a couple of those bounces lately you never know like boy, I think she thought I was Chris and I ended up being Kevin and hey, sure enough, I got a dance in and then the next song happened and I was still dancing. Um, Weird stuff happens in the end. Weird stuff happens in sports. I tweeted it out. Sports, when that fumble happened. It's just, the ball is not shaped like a normal bouncing ball. That's why we love football. The ball bounces weird ways. I love it. All right, this is from Niles. Who saw another stat today that said the Colts have the second fewest missed tackles this season? He will ask again: Is this the best tackling D in Colts history? Boy, Niles, um, it's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll say this: I don't know if my historical Colts can go that far back, but it's a damn good tackling team. And really, it starts at the back end to me, where guys can be a bit susceptible. Now, you know, Julian Blackman, Kenny Moore—they've missed some tackles as of late, but for the most part, those guys, Kari Willis. They are great, great tacklers. Um, you know, Rhodes and Rock, I don't think they're there. And TJ Carey played a ton of snaps yesterday. They played a lot more than Rock. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a very sound tackling. And in this defense, when you're going to give up completions, you've got to be a sound tackling team. And I do think the Colts um, are that. Awesome. Okay. From Jason, despite the five sacks, is there still seed to be lack? Oh, I'm sorry. There still seems, I think, to be a lack of pressure um, most of the game. I know Buckner was limited, but he wasn't last game with the same story. Is this fixable, or is this what the team is? Well, let me say this, Jason, first. I think rushing Deshaun Watson is such an outlier. You know, it's just he is a guy that holds on to it. He's a guy that extends, extends, extends. I mean, you're going to face Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday night, or I say Sunday night because I feel like it's that important of a game, but it's Sunday afternoon. Um, That dude gets the ball out quicker than anybody in the NFL. I think it's 2.29 seconds. You know, Watson holds on to it a little bit longer, and obviously 
you know, he's scrambling to, to, to throw a whole lot. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I, I do think if you look at the last like six games, the Colts have played and again, putting Houston to the side, because that's such a unique rush game plan for them. I think the Colts have had like three sacks in the other four games. And I think one of those was Tannehill running out of bounds or I don't know, car running out of bounds. One of those quarterbacks. So it, it, I, I still don't think we've seen the consistent pass rush. Um, and I was never going to evaluate this Sunday's game off that. Now, individually, Ture showed me a little bit more, like I was saying earlier. Um, and I do think we need to mention DeForest Buckner. We, we probably have waited too long on the podcast for that. Um, that dude was hurt. That dude played a season-low snaps. And that dude had four quarterback hits and three sacks. I mean, freak. Stud. All pro. Uh, toughness. His effort on that final drive, I mean, he had that sack that got Houston behind the chains and forced them to go for it on that fourth down. So, I mean, Buckner got hurt in Thursday's practice. He's working out at 10 a.m., and that was iffy-iffy, and he got it out big time. I love this this Twitter name. This is from Colt Maniac. When things are working, we seem to go away from it offensively. Why do you think Frank tries to get cute when we don't need to? Sometimes old-fashioned hard-nosed running – is what you need. Thanks for your thoughts. Enjoy the pod. Well, thank you for the question, Colt Maniac. Um, the Jacoby Brissett play, again, I don't know what the hell that was. Um, and, and honestly, I don't, like, the play seemed to be designed to work. Um, but still, I it, putting Brissett in that situation, like, come on, come on. That's like that's like asking Kevin Bowen to make a five-course meal for his family on Christmas. Like, what do you think was going to happen? Did you think you were going to get Bob Evans mashed potatoes and mac and cheese? Like that's, that's what you're going to get. Like, which I mean, that's a damn good meal for me, but you're not going to get shrimp and, you know, souffle and some crazy salad. Like you're going to get mediocre stuff. And that's what that play was. I, I don't know what that was. Um, yeah, it's just a little bit too cute. There's a lot you like with Frank and I've stressed that a lot, but it is just a, a little bit too cute. The whole Brissett usage on that play, I'm pretty sure it was a one-possession game when you did that. That's a play that I'm like, you're up two scores on the Raiders two weeks ago. Throw that in there and put that on film. Put that on film that, like, okay, now a team has the game plan for that. Um, yeah, again, I, I thought maybe you could have just you could have focused on the ground game a little bit. If I'm going to nitpick on Sunday, it was the 31st ranked run defense and, and, and things like that. But um, one, one, one note I did want to mention on, on, on Jonathan Taylor, the Colts had this after the game. It's a great note. Taylor has now rushed for over 80 yards in four straight games. There's only three players in the NFL that have done that this year. I mean, three and, and Derek Henry isn't one of them. Dalvin cook and Nick, Nick Chubb are the others. I mean, Taylor is, how he's running looks different. As I said, Le'Veon Bell, Steeler-level patience. We have Jeff Saturday on the Monday morning show every week, and he mentioned early in the year how Taylor is getting what is blocked. Like, that that's the maximum amount of yards he's getting. He's flipped that. He's creating more on his own, and I think the rookie is really, really stepping up. All right, we got about, what, about five-ish more here? Yep. Let's okay. go. Let's go rapid fire. Oh, okay. All right, cool. So, uh, Damon. Are you saying we need to move along? Yeah. Okay. Damon, um, he loved the energy at Lucas Oil Stadium. That last drive was electric, which I agree with. 
Um, but besides that drive, he feels like Watson seemed to have his way and moved the ball a lot today. Um, what did you see, Kevin, that attributed to that? And Mads, whenever you got to go, you exit. Wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Rosie Bow says Merry Christmas. And uh, and I'll and I'll try to steer the ship home, okay? Okay. Um, uh, I thought the rush discipline uh, and the uh, and, and the coverage again, just a little bit, not as crisp. And, and I mean, Watson can expose that in a hurry, in a in, in a hurry. Um, and you know, it, it, it's interesting, like how you feel about this defense right now. When you look at the playmaking that they consistently again have had throughout this season, it's just one of those things where it's like. What if this is going to be there through 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 the month of of of, of January? I mean, that is just like huge. If that is like what is going to be a consistent aspect of this football team, but if you don't have a Kenny Moore crazy interception, if that ball in the end zone is recovered by the Texans and now it's you know back at the two yard line or whatever, um, I mean that is all. Uh, you know that that's all of that is something that that uh, that you can hang your uh, hang your head on. Cool. Let's try to get all these questions in, Mads. But again, when you have to scatter, you 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 scatter, and I will um, I I will bring it home. So just keep on going in uh. In okay. Order. Okay. Cool. All right. Sorry to sorry to rush the pod, y'all. Okay. So this is from y'all. I don't I don't know. This is that's your South Carolina coming out. <laughs> Where I didn't ever go. Right. <laughs> I think Kevin's referencing that I wanted to go there for college. Okay, so John, um, assume a world where the Colts did not draft JT and instead targeted another position. Marlon Mack gets hurt week one. Do you rely on Hines or Hines slash Wilkins all, all season? Or would you sign a FA um, like Bell, assuming he's still released by the Jets? Your free favorite, agent. your free agent. yeah, free agent. You, your favorite JT, Justin Timberlake or Jonathan Taylor? Justin Timberlake, <laughs> but Jonathan Taylor. What? When did he do so good? Was it two games ago? Well, Not, he's been pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I he, think he, it was two games ago yeah. that it was like every single drive. Yeah, he's a really nice kid too. Seems like just a great guy. I, you know, I think they would have signed another running back, John uh, Lamar Miller. You know, is a guy that worked out. You know, would you have kicked the tires again on Jonathan Taylor? But Certainly, you would have relied a lot on on Hines and Wilkins, but some other running back would have had to have been in the building, even throughout the offseason, um, you know, just, just from a training camp standpoint. From Alex, I agree with you that Paris Campbell isn't coming back this year. Oh, I kind of forgot about him. I know. Um, and this staff loves Paris Campbell. They love Paris Campbell like I love you. Oh, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, and Rosie. So for 2021, do you think his injury history puts him in – on a short leash, or does his skill set give him a little bit more room for air slash injury? Hope Santa is good to Rosie. Thanks, Alex. What did Santa get, Rosie? <laughs> you wouldn't know, would you? Well, I, you know. Shout I, out to all the moms out there. <laughs> I kind of do my shopping late. Uh, you'll have to see. Okay. All right. All right, Santa. Thank you. Um, You know, short leash. I his contracts for four years. It runs through 2022. I see no reason why you would cut him or something like that. Again, this staff loves him, and he brings such a unique element to this offense that I think you're going to ride it out. I mean, what, you're two years into it. It's not like a huge contract by any means either. Um, yeah. Do you think Sam, Do you think Rosie was happy Notre Dame made the playoff? She was sleepy 
in that moment. <laughs> but now I think she's happy. happy. <laughs> I think she's happy. Is that we want Bama? Or are you saying we want Bama? <laughs> she's saying, Mom, can you take me to go eat? So I'm going to do one more Twitter question. Kay. Okay. This is from Jake. If the Colts go 11-5 and five and miss the playoffs, how should this season be viewed? Well, it, first off, it's crazy that this is even possible, Jake, that like they, they could go 11-5 and five and, and miss the playoffs. Um, yeah, it's just wild to think about that. I think it's disappointing. Yeah, I do. You know, 11-5 and five is 11-5, is and five, but, like, again, seven teams make the playoffs. So seven teams in the AFC found a way to go 11-5 and five and better. Um, and I just think it's important for this team and this younger core to get into the postseason, get a win, you know, build a culture about January and, like, start establishing that. Yeah, you did it two years ago, but there's a lot of contributors that weren't on this team two years ago. And I, I just think that would be well served for this team to um, taste that again. But I mean, eleven and five and miss the playoffs. You know, again, people will point to eleven and five and be like, "Okay, that's better than people thought." But when you have the easy schedule in the AFC and nearly half the conference is better than you, that's disappointing. But I, I would be stunned if they if they miss the playoffs. So I I, I think you're going to get help from Baltimore and Miami, uh, even if you don't went out cool well thanks crew sorry about my half-assed engagement in this podcast i want to come back and really give it my all here in a few weeks don't don't say that if you don't mean it i i don't i do mean it okay yeah good all right but i gotta run merry christmas mads merry uh, christmas there's maddie bow and rosie bow exiting uh let's go rapid fire here to close it out i got a radio interview coming up in a few minutes uh john kevin please tell me you won't be seeing trevor lawrence in jacksonville twice a year we probably had 37 questions about this this week uh, boy, I just wild. Um, the, I think the Jags are going to beat the bears at home this week. So yeah, I, 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 I think, I think the Jets are going to be sliding back in the number one pick. Zach question was asked me if today, would you trade Darius Leonard for the first pick this upcoming draft? Interested to know your thoughts. 1 billion percent. Yes. Trade Darius Leonard for the number one pick. Yes. Without a doubt. I get to keep all my other draft picks and, and draft Lawrence. I mean, Ballard drafts linebacker as well. Yes, there's no doubt in my mind. Victor, from the front, fun aspect, what teams matchups do you want to see in the AFC playoffs? Uh, well, first, I can't wait for the playoffs. Like, just point blank, period. Like, I can talk myself into any matchup. I mean, seriously, it's 2020. Like, we're going to have the NFL playoffs in less than two weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but, I mean, really, I even the Browns and Dolphins, like Baker, Tua, in the playoffs, like, that's awesome. Spoken word, not sure if you've been keeping up with the Washington football team, but Montez Sweat is coming a key part of that dominant front four. Is it too soon to revisit that trade where we essentially passed on Sweat for Rock and a future second? Um, I think it was Pittman, actually. If we could have gotten Sweat and used our own second to get Pittman and not Taylor, do you still do it? I think it was Montez Sweat for Banagoo and Pittman. But yeah, I think Montez Sweat, I want to say like seven sacks, eight sacks, maybe his first two seasons. And, you know, that that was just a red flag thing that the Colts had. And I remember that draft night, you know, Joey Molinaro um, and I recording that pod at the Colts complex saying, we will judge this draft off Montez Sweat's resume, you know, and what he does. But basically you've gotten... So you traded back, but I think the Rocky Yassine pick was from the Jets trade. I think it was Pittman and Banigou who you got off that trade. Um, 
Now, look, if you don't have that additional second-round pick, do you take Chase Claypool at 44 this year and hope Marlon Mack doesn't get hurt? I don't. Gosh. Hindsight with drafts just make me laugh. Um, all right, Louisiana guy, who do you think would win out a tag team wrestling match? <laughs> Quentin Nelson, Anthony Costanzo, Ryan Kelly versus DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, and Justin Houston. Love the pod. Uh, I'm taking those, those, uh, those defensive guys. They're just quicker. Buckner's got so much stamina. Tyler, hey, Kevin, which two or three players can you attribute to the added wins this season? Examples like Phillip replacing Jacoby, the rookie class stepping up, DeForest added to the team, Rodrigo replacing Vinny, Rhodes playing at a Pro Bowl level, etc. Boy, I mean, all of them deserve a credit for sure. Obviously, I think Rivers and Buckner fall into the biggest category, but, I mean, you make a great point about Hot Rod over Vinny. You know? Julian Blackman over Hooker. Um, you know, I felt like the Colts would be, I don't know. I, I thought they'd be like two to three wins, um, you know, better with the additions of Rivers and Buckner specifically. But it's like when you break down some of that stuff, like haven't they been a full win better at kicker? You know, it's just, I feel like we probably should give a little bit of credit there. All right, three more before we round it out. And thank you to everyone for tuning in to this um, kind of jumbled version of the Kevin's Corner pod. Matt, secondly, already with two more wins this, than last season, uh, make it three more wins than last season. Matt obviously sent this in before Sunday. The Rivers experiment has objectively been a success. I'm comfortable now with another year of Rivers with Jacob Eason backing up, but it seems rather than draft a quarterback in 2021, fans are leading toward a new vet and Eason combo. I think due to our draft position and medium investment in Eason, Ballard's staff perhaps sees something we don't, and we should see what we have. Perhaps a Josh Allen type. Huge arm, but in- inaccuracy issues in 2022. Coaching and upside leads to a remarkable improvement in 2023. What do you think? Well, um, I appreciate the thoughtful question, Matt. Um, but let's remember, Josh Allen was the seventh overall pick. Pretty sure the Bills traded up for him. Jacob Eason was the 122nd overall pick. So I just like draft position. Those are two different talents. And draft position and where you are in the order, it cannot influence how you view your needs. Again, watching Deshaun Watson twice in the last three weeks, I tweeted out yesterday, it just makes it more abundantly clear how critically important it is to find the future quarterback. Like, Eason was a fourth-round pick. Listen to Chris Bauer talk about him. You know? (laughs) I mean, could he uh, temper down expectations anymore? Teams trade up. Rams, Chiefs, Eagles, Texans. They just do it. Zach, hey, Kevin, love the pod. Hope you and the family are healthy. My question to you is about the priorities coming into the next offseason. I know you've said in no particular order that quarterback, left tackle, and edge rusher are the main priorities. The question is, how should the Colts approach filling these needs? I personally think trading up in the draft for quarterback and possibly looking for a tackle or edge rusher via free agency. Curious as to your thoughts to the approach on how Ballard will use his salary cap and draft capital. You know, if you're going to stand pat draft-wise, I think it's still quarterback round one. I'd probably go edge over left tackle in round two, which is not something I would have said. Maybe the Nelson experiment leads to something, um, but I think developing a tackle is an absolute must with a day two pick. 
I just think you got to maybe take more of a chance on that rusher. And then I would say a wide out, at least in free agency, in some capacity. You know, Hilton, uh, a, a, a re-sign or, you know, one of the free agents. And then I also just think a later round pick wide out as well. I know you haven't drafted well that position, but you got to keep on taking shots. All right, last one to round out the pod, Trep. Hey, Kevin, if Colts don't draft a QB this upcoming draft, is it safe to say they have high hopes for Eason? I'm team draft a quarterback this next draft. The Colts most likely will not be able to draft Fields or Lawrence. If you had to choose between the second tier of QBs, Zach Wilson, Kyle Trask, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, who would you choose? I'd probably choose Wilson. Although I don't know how much second tier he is. I don't think he's moving on up. But I I guess, Trep, my, my question is, what are the Colts' high hopes with Eason? Like, he literally threw maybe 40 passes in training camp. Maybe. And he's had four scout team practices all year. Like, he doesn't take a lot of reps in practice. I I just think he needs game reps. Gotta have it. And he's just been so stunted by this offseason. All right, everybody. Appreciate the questions. Um... For those of you that have sent in kind of some bigger picture questions, uh, I'm saving a lot of those just for future pods. You know, I don't want to just throw out 30 different off-season type questions every pod. I do want to get in, you know, about a half dozen to around 10. So that's what we did here on this podcast. So that'll continue to be the format moving forward. Um, next week, we'll be back. We'll have we'll have a couple pods as usual, Monday, Wednesday. My early thoughts on the Steelers, I think it's a very winnable game. I think it's a short week. I think that the Pittsburgh is struggling running the football. I don't think the history in that stadium should have a bearing on this game. Um, I, Pittsburgh's not really playing for home field as much as maybe like Green Bay is against Tennessee this coming week. I mean, yeah, Pittsburgh still has an outside shot depending on what happens tonight, but they need a lot of help to get that home field. So I, I just think the sense of urgency, um, I think the Colts will be competitive in that game. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, for sure. So, um, everybody, you know, have a great Christmas, happy holidays, stay, stay safe. You know, this has been just an absolutely crazy, crazy year. And I speak for Chris and I, and, and really, um, even when I had Maddie on, on the podcast earlier, just thank you guys for your genuine listenership and your loyalty, um, to this podcast and to all of the content that we produce. It means a lot and it's very much appreciated. Beers with Bowen. We will have again, if the Colts make the playoffs, Uh, Kind of pencil in Thursday, January 7th into your calendars. That's Rosie Bow in the background, if you can hear her. She says Merry Christmas. She says we want Bama. Everybody have a great week. Stay safe. And uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Kevin's Corner.